This podcast is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Coquitlam peoples. British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they flow around the bend. To me, you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicos. Today is February 9th, 2024. I'm Ian Bushfield. Hi, I'm Mo Amir. Hey, Mo. Welcome Hi. to my house. Oh, th- so happy to be here. It's an honor, and uh, I'm glad we could finally do this. We haven't recorded a podcast together in almost six years. So. Yeah, and I haven't done a live <laughs> podcast in so long. It's, oh, this is live. We're like broadcasting. Or in, live. no, in person is oh, what I mean, person. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's all been over the internet. Virtual? Yeah. We're not yeah. live. This, oh, there's just a little recorder you here. You out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People can actually see you too. There's cameras everywhere. Yeah. Beauty. On today's show, we're going to talk about Selena Robinson's uh, very awful week. And uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Pierre Polyev and whatever he's trying to do federally. What is he trying to do federally? That is the real question. Become prime minister is the simple answer. Patreon.com slash politicos. Check out your podcast, This is Van Color. Yeah, or uh, watch it on Check Thursday nights at 9 for the TV version, and then it's still being podcasted as per uh, always. So let's get right into it. The big story this week, Monday morning, Press conferences canceled that was going to talk about housing. David Eby's under pressure from, well, we'll talk about who he was under pressure from Mm -hmm. in a bit. He calls forward this, you know, hastily thrown together press conference at the cabinet offices in Vancouver and announces that Selena Robinson has resigned as Minister of Advanced Education, is going to take some time to reflect on her harmful comments that I discussed a little bit last week with Stuart Prest and take some anti-Islamophobia training, and she's out as minister. She will stay in caucus, uh, and she had announced in a separate uh, release that she is not going to run in Coquitlam, Mallardville. Actually, the riding next to us where I live now right? Yeah, uh, in the fall. So I know you've spoken about this on you know your own social media a bit. What's your take on how this all went down? Oh, there's a lot to unpack, and I I think there's three parts. So I was kind of thinking about how I would talk about this, but let's start with Selena Robinson on this virtual event. And it was a public event hosted by Benai Brith. Uh, People are saying, oh, it was a private Zoom call. That's not true. It it was a public event. She knew that this would be broadcast to however many people would watch it. And so that's important context to keep in mind. Because I've heard a lot of people just saying like, oh, you have to be careful when you're on the phone. And it's like, no, this is completely different. The first thing is probably the messiest, which is this whole controversy with Langara College or Langara University and Dr. Natalie Knight. Dr. Knight said some uh, very atrocious, gross things. Um, I don't, I don't personally agree with them. I don't think most people, uh, I, like most people wouldn't agree with them for sure. Um, and so we, we can't conflate what Dr. Knight said and what Selena Robinson is being accused of doing, because from my understanding, she's being accused of 
politically interfering in Langara's processes, leaning on them politically to have Dr. Knight removed from the university. Uh, those two things are separate things. We can say that Dr. Knight's comments were wrong, and we could say that if any political interference occurred, that's wrong as well, even if we are to agree that Dr. Knight should have consequences for what she said. And she did. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Um, so that's one thing that I think needs to be cleared up, because I was also both reading and hearing mainstream commentators conflate these two things and, um, you know, not really clearly outlining it for people. So I think that's number one. Well, and notably, just to cut in there, yeah. David Eby says that Selena Robinson did not resign because of those allegations of interference. It was strictly the comments. Right. And so we'll get into that. Yeah. And and again, those are just allegations. I, I, I saw the, mm-hmm. I saw the article in the breach. Again, I'm not convinced that there's any proof that she did this, but you know, uh, people can sort of decide for themselves. So then let's get into the comments that she also made on that virtual event with Benai Brith. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? I don't know if I'm... I, I think so. I'm okay. not, I'm yeah. not, don't Apologies ask me. I'm, I'm not, the, like, not white on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she makes these comments about the territory of what we would consider Israel and Palestine being on a crappy piece of land. And then she proceeds to make a terra nullius argument, which is, you know, colonial racism in the sense that it's this argument that, hey, uh, if there's a piece of land and even if it's being inhabited by by people, if the land is not being productive in the way that we view productivity, then it's up for grabs, basically, and we yeah. can take it. Her initial res- apology involved, oh, actually, I was just trying to refer to the natural resources there, which <sighs> doesn't ma- solve it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when she acknowledges that there was hundreds of thousands of people, but then kind of dismisses it, both in her tone and, and, and how she says it. So... My what we had happen was Sean Orr basically dropped this clip with what she said, and you can see that online. It has like two million views, probably more than that at this point. And the internet just started to go berserk over it, like just bananas of just like, wow, how could someone say this? It was really catching fire, and the media seemed to be quite hesitant to really jump in. I believe Richard Zussman did retweet it, but he might've been one of the few, even I didn't retweet it because I didn't really agree with some of the wording that Sean had used in his tweet. Um, But I think there was, there was outrage that was starting to build. And then finally we started to see some beat reporters outside of the press gallery uh, starting to report on the comments, but the fixation of the initial wave of reporting was on the comment of crappy piece of land, mm-hmm. which I don't actually think is the the real offensive part of what Selena Robinson had said. I'm not saying it's great, mm-hmm. but but the Terra Nullius argument is far more offensive than just saying a piece of land is crappy. Do you I know think, what I mean? Yeah, I think the swear actually is what captures the headline and is what gets the attention, even though I fully agree that like, the underlying sentiment is where the problem is. And you see that in another comment that's in the same event that didn't get as widely reported. Mm -hmm. And I don't have it in front of me, but it's where she compares the dispute between Israel and Palestine to like, if there was a dispute between the Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh and like normal people or something, regular people people shouldn't weigh into that debate. And And that that didn't go over well. No, and it shouldn't, right? Because it is othering 
uh, First Nations people in this regard. But I think even, and I'm not justifying that comment, the regular people comment, but I think even with that, you could say that maybe she misspoke or in the crappy piece of land, maybe she, again, it was a slip of the tongue or she was speaking very quickly. It happened. Again, where I thought, what, what, what I thought was outrageous is she clearly outlined a Terra Nullius argument, right? That's not a misspeak. That's not speaking too quickly. Um, for her to say I was referring to the natural resources of the land, I don't know. Like, that really doesn't cut the mustard for me. So we started to see the first wave of reporting kind of focusing on the crappy piece of land uh, comment. And still, there was a lot of uh, people who can give their opinion in, in mainstream media who were just still sort of on the sidelines and and waiting for this to play out. Um, but it was starting to reach a boil both online and offline because you had on Friday, I think, this expectation that Selena Robinson was going to resign. And I and I put out commentary saying, listen, if she doesn't resign, I think that that's, that signifies one, double standards, but two, uh, a high tolerance that we have for anti-Arab or, or uh, Islamophobic rhetoric in this province. And I stand by that. I, I think that that's what that represents. And the reason I said that is because there was an incident uh, several months ago with the former or now former deputy leader of the BC Greens, Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi, he had liked some inappropriate tweets. I'm not justifying that either. I think that's gross. He should know better. Um, and when that broke online, again, it broke on Twitter, there was a dogpile from media commentators, media in general, uh, different politicos. They were all jumping on it within minutes. But with Selena Robinson's comments in the Sean Orr video, like I said, I feel like there was a reluctancy for people to comment or amplify or just say, hey, what do you think about this? And so I think there was a double standard there. And what's interesting about the Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi thing is, I mean, he resigned within hours, but Selena was on the leading charge of that. I think she called it reprehensible. Now, to be fair, neither Selena nor the BCNDP had demanded Dr. Gandhi's resignation, but I think based on a lot of the rhetoric they were using, it was kind of implied. In they, the they at least talked about it. They brought it up, right? Yeah. And that's something, and we can get in, I know we'll get into this more, but one thing we didn't see amid all this outrage was statements from BC United, BC Greens, or uh, BC Conservatives. Adam Olson did put out a statement. Yeah. I think it was towards Monday, maybe Sunday evening. And, and, um, and it was a good deep breed. And I'll I think we in. should have measured responses, especially if you are in, in, sitting in office, right? Like, I don't mind this idea of like, okay, let's take a beat. Let's think about it. Maybe talk to some people. But again, it's the immediate response for one and then like waiting it out for, for the other. Um, so the resignation didn't come on the Friday. But I can tell you that over the weekend, the temperature was just ratcheting up, both online I'm chronically on Twitter, so I live there. I, I, I could feel it there. But I can tell you, more importantly, in, within the Muslim community, which I'm not really tapped into, I, I uh, you know, my name is Muhammad. Uh, you know, I, I kind of grew up around it, but neither myself nor my dad go to mosque. I think it's been over a decade since we have been. Um, you know, we know people, but again, not super tapped into that community. But I can tell you, we were getting calls all weekend. And I asked my dad too, I'm like, are you hearing about this from other people? And he's like, oh yeah, I've had like 15 calls and just people flagging it for us. And so there was this decentralized, disorganized word of mouth campaign within the community. And the problem with that type of word of mouth campaign that either goes through WhatsApp or phone calls or whatever 
is that it's also prime for misinformation. So a lot of people were coming to me and saying, did you hear that she said this? And I was saying, "She, well, what she said was terrible, but it's not that, right? And so... So and and the other problem with that is you can't track it, you can't monitor it like you can on Twitter. Yeah. So this thing, and I was talking to BCNDEP MLAs and staff as well, and I was and I was relaying this information, just letting them know. I'm like, this thing is getting out of control. I'm like, you guys are probably connected to the community as well. Like, you should talk to them because there's a lot of anger. Well, notably, we saw this letter organized from over a dozen mosques yeah. that said the BCNDP is banned from our premises until they have rectified this. Yeah. Uh, and that's super... Very important. That's important and something I don't think we've ever seen before, right? And this is an election year, and I don't think people who aren't active in religious communities, and I'm not, uh, can understand necessarily how impactful that can be to MLAs and candidates who want to be there shaking hands and kissing babies totally. or whatever, right? Yeah. And part of the problem is, one thing I skipped over was, on Friday, we did see apologies, right? So we saw Selena... Robinson apologized on Twitter. It was a two-tweet apology. It was definitely not sufficient. There was issues with it, as, you, as you've already alluded to. But I think more than that, there was a disconnect between what she was saying and what Premier Eby was saying. When Premier Eby was in this press conference, I believe in the Okanagan, he was uh, very apologetic. He was making no excuses. So he wasn't saying it was a misspeak or anything like that. And he was very clear in that in the role and responsibility of BCNDP MLAs or just MLAs saying that they have to cool the temperature in the room as opposed to inflame it. And he fully acknowledged that that is what Selena did. She inflamed, you know, a very sensitive matter and it affected uh, certain communities. So I think even that disconnect between what Premier Eby was saying and then Selena Robinson's tweets apologizing um, did not help, right? Um, and we, and again, we haven't really seen Selena in public at this point. She's not really taking TV interviews or radio interviews or anything. There's a lot of statements being filtered through the media. The question on Monday was, you know, why isn't she there? And the fair answer that EB gave was, this has taken an impact on her. And of course, with yeah. that many people tweeting, talking about it, no doubt there was a lot of vitriol targeted at her, right? We saw her office got targeted the day that she resigned with what the premier called hateful messages. Uh, and we could get into the debate over that. But, you know, her office was targeted mm -hmm. because it was her comments. So we know how situations go. And as a prominent Jewish politician, undoubtedly, a lot of that was not fair comment, but anti-Semitic hatred, For undoubtedly. Sure. Yeah. So no, it's, it's a brutal position to be in. And I don't I, I think even a lot of the mainstream people, myself included, who thinks that she should have resigned and rightfully did, um, we don't, we're not supportive of that. I mean, I, we should cool the temperature down and not, I think you're allowed to protest, do whatever you want, but it's, but I think specifically to her as well, even protesting, it's over at this point, you know? Um, I, I, I was very saddened to hear that she's also subject to a death threat. Like all this stuff is just nonsense. It, it, it's, and I and the people that bear the brunt of this are going to be both the Jewish community uh, because there's direct anti-Semitism, but then the backlash is going to be against the Muslim community or the Palestinian community, right? And so different communities bear the brunt of this escalation, and it's just it's brutal and it sucks, and people should stop doing that. Yeah, and I guess the one other thing is I'm noticed in 
the apologies and you know, I saw your TikTok that neither of them said the words "I'm sorry," and you know, you could. She, we could Selena get... did in the second oh, one. Okay, in, in the in the long one, yeah. So Selena puts out the the long right. apology on the Monday, and it's very good. That if, was a good one. Yeah, I was about to if say. If this came out on one. the Thursday or the Friday, I think it would have softened a lot of the the outrage. Uh, it probably would have got someone like me more on side. Um, but I think it because it was four days later or whatever, it just didn't land the same way. Um, you know, there she was saying that she was going to take anti-Islamophobic training, but didn't specify a time or who who, who it was going to be with. Uh, but she did say, I'm sorry. I'll give her, you know, credit for that. But what I th- was going to say that I think was definitely missing in David Eby's comments was he acknowledged they were harmful and hurtful, but I don't know if he said why. And maybe it's not his job to. Selena gets into it in that mm. second letter. But it was kind of this missing, I don't think he used the word Palestine much, and he's avoided yeah. it. But yeah, the, the sense true. I kind of got from his apology or his statement after I rewatched it was just this, the crime, not the crime, but the thing that she's resigning over is that she raised the temperature. And it's like, that kind of both sides it, right? That kind of moves it down into a situation where yeah. it's like, the reason she can't be in cabinet is because she wasn't civil. And well, it's like, some people justifiably have the view that, you know, given there's a chance genocide is happening, maybe civility is not the number one priority. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, that is an interesting argument. I don't know if necessarily the Muslim community is splitting hairs over that. Um, and I'm not speaking for the, the community. I'm just saying, like, I think they were a little more receptive. What I was hearing was just a little more receptive to what Evie was saying, but certainly frustrated that she was still in cabinet at that time over the weekend. Um, He's very cerebral. So of course he's going to use very careful language. Does it both sides it? I don't know. I don't know if I have, uh, if I've given that proper thought. No. Yeah. I kind of sprung that on you. I mean, one of the things that I'm thinking about is this like framing and we saw this come out in a Rob Shaw piece and a couple others after that. And it is an interesting point that this, resignation wasn't triggered by the parliamentary opposition, by the M- other MLAs, yeah, that is right? unique. And that sure. is unique. Uh, but then there was like Rob Shaw's piece, score settling on the minds of some as Selena Robinson turf from cabinet. And then he like names out Anjali Apadurai and Harsha Walia. And he's like, it's almost this like derisive approach to the activists and citizens who have strong feelings here and splitting the hairs between the idea that individuals should have strong feelings and opinions about this versus like the proper channels is for the official opposition to pound the desks. Yeah. And and so I want to be clear, I'm not going to call out any specific, uh, you know, member of the media or or member of the BC press gallery. I do think that some of them missed the framing because you heard this idea of like, oh, this, this was uh, David Eby caving to the online mob or caving to the extremists. And That's just not true. Obviously, there was an online component to it. Obviously, there was an extremist element to it, which is why we're seeing Selena Robinson still being subject to horrible abuse and threats. Like those things, yes, they are true. However, let's center the Arab, Palestinian, Muslim communities that even though they aren't that well organized, 
you know, did mobilize in a certain way, whether that was, again, through that word of mouth campaign that I told you about, through the letter that you just mentioned as well. Um, let's center those folks because there is genuine hurt um, that they were feeling. And I think to just say that, oh, it was an online mob just completely dismisses them and is just not, it's just not true. Um, is there politics to her resignation? I don't know because, as you mentioned, the opposition parties were pretty quiet. Caroline Ellett, who's a BC United member, uh, I think came out and defended Selena, but that was in the context of the Laguerra issue. Um, beyond that, I, I think John Rustad made a, like a passing comment about it, but it they were all quiet. They weren't really going one way or another. Again, Adam Olson was probably the most vocal. And I think the Greens have somewhat of a legitimate beef when it comes to this idea of double standards. And again, going back to Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi is they feel like he was piled on for whether, was it because he was a green? Was it because he was a brown guy? Was it because he was just not a powerful person? He was not in, you know, involved in, in the BC legislature. He's still talking too much about COVID. Was it because he just won't shut up about COVID, right? Like there could be several reasons, but they just felt, I think there was the feeling that they felt like he was treated much differently than, than Selena Robinson. And there's a lot of people, even now, you know, this conversation around like, oh my God, like, how will good people run for office? Well, that was never the conversation when Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi resigned. You know, we never had that. And I think it's a fair conversation, but there just seems to be this double standard. And I think when it's expressed by commentators in the media, in the mainstream media, uh, it just angers people even more. <laughs> so. Well, and like, there's two other aspects going, at least going on. Like one thing I've heard from behind the scene is that this wasn't a, like an isolated incident. I've heard that, you know, it's, it's well enough known that David Eby doesn't necessarily get along with Selena Robinson. Right. He, you know, demoted her from finance minister to post-secondary education when he became premier and I think she was like the only MLA who didn't endorse him. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> in the right. leadership race. Yeah, and did so, she have a reason? She said, "I have to stay neutral," because even though he was like the only candidate, yeah. as well. Um, and so, there was, or I guess John Horgan didn't endorse him officially because right. he's like, "I'm piecing out on top." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I have heard that people have been frustrated by well, her Twitter behavior, the I Twitter think. behavior, yeah. this like increasing like vitriol both in public and behind the scenes in terms of when it comes or at least uh heated temperature i guess is the better way to say it on the israel palestine questions where eb is clearly wanting his government to not touch that smartly and i think rightly like they're a provincial government and and, and it is their job to govern the province they have certain jurisdictions certain areas where they govern I don't want my provincial leaders weighing in on every single issue that happens in the world. Can they express sympathy for big world events? Absolutely, right? Like, I think you can absolutely be human. Um, you can participate in community events, all that stuff. That's all good. But it's like, you know, I, I remember there was a time, I don't even know which mass shooting it was, but there was a mass shooting in the States of last year. And like all the, the three leaders came out and expressed condolences. And it's like, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But is that what we now expect that anytime something bad happens anywhere in the world, they're expected to comment on it? Uh, I would rather just them do their jobs. You know? Well, and the other like elephant in the room, of course, is the response that came out after from 
like the major organized Jewish organizations, mm -hmm. right? Uh, CJA, the Canadian Israel Jewish Affairs Group, put out damning statements condemning the BCNDP for turfing her. Uh, there was a Rabbinical Association of Vancouver statement uh, and at least one other from like big organizations. Now, there were a couple Jewish groups that had called for her resignation, including yeah. a Jewish uh, faculty association uh, and others. So I don't want to pretend that there's a monolith here because I think that's an issue that the media has trouble with. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the, you know, the sieges of the world that really may have made it difficult for a lot of the mainstream media to really want, or even, you know, the average person to really want to comment this in fear of being labeled anti-Semitic. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think that is, um, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, when it comes to CJR or any organization, I think they're allowed to express their opinion and their voice. And uh, I, I don't think that the voices should necessarily be dismissed. I, I've talked to uh, many Jewish people in my life, uh, some who agreed that Selena Robinson should resign and some that vehemently disagreed. And we had a civil conversation. And again, we kind of left it agree to disagree. But I think I understood a little more about their sensitivities towards this and their arguments for double standards. I think there was a there was an incident, was it last year, where a BCNDP MLA compared the official opposition, drew a, drew an analogy to Nazism or something, right? And mm. it's like, you know, we, we should stop doing that. We should stop calling everyone a Nazi that we disagree with. <laughs> uh, that would be nice. Um, and and you know even I think invoking I'm not I'm not talking about Palestine or Israel I'm not commenting on that but I think using the word even using words like genocide or slavery where it doesn't necessarily apply mm -hmm. uh, I think you know we have to be careful with words because they they should have meaning and so I don't have any issues again with um, with those organizations putting out their statements or or making their stance known I, I think that's totally fair play. But you bring up an interesting point of the media gets very confused. And I think that is part of the problem where when it comes to certain religious or ethnic communities, um, they find it very difficult in terms of how to navigate or how to understand the issues. And the fear for any ethnic community uh, is that you will have either the loudest or most extreme voice suddenly represent everyone. And that's the fear with Muslims, right? I'm not coming at, this is not about CJR, the Jewish community. Like that's the real inherent fear with Muslims is like some Muslim is going to say something really terrible and now we all have to wear it. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's also difficult in media. Um, certainly on the individual level, it's difficult, but I think it just, it goes to, it goes to the point that we just need greater diversity in our commentators, in our beat reporters, because the more different backgrounds you have, the better equipped they will be to give some justice to what's happening, right? Yeah, I can't disagree with anything in that, <laughs> right? It's, it's quite noticeable at times when the press gallery or, you know, it's mainstream media across the board is overwhelmingly people who look more like me than like you. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's those people are all talented. They're all very yeah. good at their job, but it's just saying, can we expand it? Can we, yeah. you know, can we look at this slightly differently? 
and again, it goes back to that idea of there was a there was a few commentators that were saying this was an online mob, this was extremists, and that that it just is not based in any semblance of reality, unless your reality is limited just to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the other thing that kind of strikes me is there there's definitely too many in the press gallery who spend too much time in either the bubble of Twitter or the bubble of like the ledge buildings. Yeah, and, I, and again, yeah, how you fall sure. into that trap, right? We have both fallen into bubble traps, and everyone does. And it's just a matter of like, I don't know, making some friends, I guess. Yeah, and and I think that the Twitter trap is particularly problematic, right? Like, obviously, the ledge bubble, sure, it's it, that's an issue, but at least there's like institutions and like rules and history, and like you know, there's still benefit you can a lot of benefit you can glean out of that. But I think the Twitter trap, even though there is some benefit, it really can skew your world, your worldview. And it can, it can skew, it can also skew your methodology because then, you know, Twitter has this propensity to be all about gotcha politics and getting people in rhetorical traps and all this stuff. And I've fallen prey for that as well. Like I'm not innocent in that, but, uh, yeah, I think we all, if you are, if you do live on Twitter like I do, it is important to talk to people that do not and to get outside and recognize that there's a whole big world. I actually, you know, for a lot of my commentary, I talk to, I talk to friends of mine that are not politically engaged and I try to get a sense of what they care about or what they think is wrong because oftentimes that will be more reflective than the dialogue on Twitter. The dialogue on Twitter is just a bunch of nerds, yeah. right? <laughs> Oh, I think that takes us into something I just wanted to bring up briefly because yeah. it's interesting and it came out yesterday was David, Com- D- David Eby's comments on the media. Bell and corporations like Bell have overseen the assembly of local media assets that are treasures to local communities. Uh, they bought them up uh, like corporate vampires. They sucked the life out of them, laying off journalists. Uh, they have overseen the encrapification of local news by laying off journalists. And now uh, they say, you know, it's no longer economically viable to run these local radio stations. Uh, it's no longer economically viable to have investigative news. Uh, and they were allowed to do this. Um, the impact on communities in British Columbia of their unrestrained corporate greed, they made almost $3 billion last year, is profound. The fact that they cannot find it possible with all of their MBAs to operate a few local news stations uh, in British Columbia to ensure that people get accurate, impartial, reliable information in an age of disinformation and social media craziness is such a, an abandonment of any idea of corporate responsibility. I uh, find it reprehensible. I think it's appalling. And Bell and other companies like Bell that have done this need to be held accountable uh, for the informa- information atmosphere that we find ourselves in today. Um, on behalf of all of the families of the journalists, the, the media outlets on behalf of all British Columbians that have watched their local news stations slowly turn to garbage by these companies 
who now say, unsurprisingly, uh, that there's not a lot of support for them. Um, I, I just want to say, shame on you. Shame on you. And, uh, and I call on the federal government to stop this assembly of media properties that are not actually properties to the local communities they serve. They are an indispensable source of information. Thank you. So good. So good. We're both <laughs> smiling the whole way through, you know, the encrapification, all their MBAs, just yeah. like great lines. But you know what's not in that comment, Mo? Are you going to talk about FOIs? Oh, well, I was just going to say anything he's going to do about it. Well, that's just it, right? <laughs> like it's, this is EB, this is like opposition EB at his finest, right? Um, it's something that he doesn't necessarily have a plan for. It's easy for him to get on his soapbox. And I think rightfully so, right? Like, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, as of day of recording, came out with a very similar message and I think was like, you know, a watered down dupe of what uh, what Premier Eby just just said. Um, and so the messaging is good. I think people are on his side. He's absolutely right. But but again, harking back to what we were talking about earlier, is can the province actually do anything aside from lobby the federal government and will it actually lobby the federal government on this i don't know i love the messaging i I think he's absolutely correct it's a good political hit for them um and so you know does it do any harm not really like I, i we can criticize it but ultimately i think it's still a net good i always think you know the politicians should rally their base and like you know cheer up in those kind of situations. So I have no problem with that. I, in this case, I do think there is stuff they could do about it. Like CRTC regulations are federal, obviously. Mm-hmm. Corporate a merger stuff is largely federal, but other provinces fund public broadcasters. Ontario funds TVO. Alberta mm. has access television. Where's our public broadcaster? Bring back BC TV, but make it uh, the, I don't know. Like he's going to be criticized for running state-run media or something like that. But there are <laughs> like tax credits they could do. There's... Like they yeah. could get creative, right? They there is stuff they could absolutely do. Uh, they could bring in legislation that allows uh, o- workers to take over the radio station if it's getting sold. Right, right. There's there's creative things that if they care, they can do. Maybe that'll come out in the budget and the throne speech. Uh, be interesting to see. That yeah. would be interesting to see. But that's a good point. You know what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can I can see that. There there's there are things he can do. Yeah, a little bit more than on Palestine Gaza. Yes, certainly, certainly, yeah. And even in terms of being able to influence the actual decision makers, like he can talk to the federal government. Again, whether he gets anything done or not, different story, but he has a direct channel. So, (laughs) So, but, you know, you got to start with identifying the problem. Totally. So in terms of things we are expecting to see, February 20th, the legislature resumes. We're going to have the throne speech. We're going to have the budget. These will be the last ones before... The election this fall. Oh yeah, so everyone gets a car. The, the big money. You get a car. Yeah. You get a car. EV bucks coming back. E- you... <laughs> <laughs> or no, that was Horgan gave us the thousand dollar checks. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you want to see this spring from this government? And then I'll get into what I want to see. What I want to see. Oh man, that's a good question. Okay, so I think the the government has already signaled that there's going to be stuff to address affordability. So I would expect some sort of rebates on hydro maybe ICBC, um, I don't know, the, maybe some tax breaks. Like, I, I think there there will be something there, how effective it is, or, you know, does it really address affordability when I think the 
core issue in affordability is still housing uh, remains to be seen. But, you know, it's an election year budget, so I think we'll see that. What I want to see is, and what I truly believe is a powder keg waiting to blow up, this is, I think, the BCNDP's biggest weakness right now is healthcare. And I think Premier Eby and the BCNDP have been very ambitious on the housing file. Um, they're starting to show different movements on different things. However, um, healthcare is just, it cuts across homeowners and renters, rural, urban, uh, young, old. Uh, every week, there is a horror story about a BC hospital. Why the opposition parties, who are quite far behind polling to the NDP, why do, why they don't put down, put out a video every single day in front of a BC hospital to talk about the services that are cut or closures or lack of nurses and doctors is beyond me. Like, when you're that far behind, just put all your eggs in one basket and 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 go for the gusto at that point. Um, so I think that's going to be huge, and it, and it just has the potential to damage them. So I would hope, um, just for the province, like I don't really care if they win or not, but like I hope for the province that we do see something there for healthcare. Um, in terms of what I personally hope for, um, but I'm not holding my breath for is just more stuff on. Um, the toxic drug supply crisis. Yes. Um, and there's a lot, right? Like I understand, obviously on the harm reduction side, I would like to see that expanded, certainly would save supply. But I think even for uh, readily available treatment, there are people who want to go into treatment, but there's no beds. And that I think is also, I'm not saying, like I'm not really in favor of forced treatment, but I think when someone puts up their hand and says they want it, um, getting those supports in place. So, that's what I truly hope because it's it's embarrassing and shameful and horrific that this crisis has continued on for so long and continues to just get worse. So uh, that would be my hope. But on that particular file, I just don't I don't see it. Yeah, the healthcare one's interesting. I know there was some reporting in the last couple of weeks, and there was even a little bit in the fall that was starting to show the changes they made to the fee model for GPs mm -hmm. for family doctors is actually working. And yeah. we are having hundreds of new family doctors, which, you know, if I'm writing the throne speech, I'm just going to be yelling about that. You, I should. you, you cheer about yeah. your wins because I yeah. don't think people are realizing that. And hopefully it's actually true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're absolutely right. That's not enough, right? Yeah. The hospitals should never close. Yeah. That, and I get that, you know, it's not a unique to BC problem. We're seeing this across the country with the challenges facing the healthcare systems in every province but it's still you know our problem to solve in terms of jurisdiction this one's squarely in their tent exactly yeah and that's so they definitely it. have to do that the housing one is interesting i think we both agree and like what's happened in the fall um but what i really want to see is the bc builds program which i know they're going to announce i feel like pretty strongly but i want them to just throw looking like a hundred billion dollars at it like yeah. just go gangbusters at this because what what i understand from all the teasing that bc builds is going to be is like they've talked about vienna and singapore public mm -hmm. housing is like not necessarily going to be the default here but is a much bigger part of the market and the housing situation and that could be transformative for this province if they don't go piddly on it like if they're only putting in a few billion it's not going to be enough yeah. like i want the feds to put up a trillion <laughs> right and they can't yeah. right well there's you, a lot you of look catch up at, you look there's at a lot like, of catch up that, yeah that, that our country and you look at some of the stuff like, like alex hemingway and the ccpa bc have talked about in terms of housing is if they're building it they're just moving money on the balance sheet right yes. they're taking it 
that you build a house, you still have an asset. Yeah. And so it's not like we're just taking out debt to build this. We are just investing our money elsewhere. Yeah. Building the strength of the province. Like the dams we built, they cost money, but then we have a dam. Yeah. Well, and and it's so key because, you know, when we talk about things like healthcare in particular, but but certainly other industries as well, part of the problem is there's just not enough people. And the reason why there's not enough people is because housing is very scarce and uh, very expensive, obviously, right? So, I, again, I do think that the the addressing housing on across the spectrum, but particularly on the public housing side, I you know I've been advocating for that for years, obviously, and I just feel like we haven't seen enough. Is this the year that they blow the bank on that? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but I hope so. I, well, and I think the surprise we have to watch for on a different subject is going to be post-secondary education. Actually, mm. they need a new minister, be, especially urgently, because the federal government has brought in this international student cap, and now we're seeing the fallout from that. Uh, U- University of Victoria announced their like thirteen million dollar budget shortfall, so they're going to wow. start doing massive layoffs. And those stories are going to be bad for this government unless they can bring forward a you know strong minister who can, I don't know, start cutting checks and find a way to fix our education system that has exploited international students for too yeah. long in a way that can just, you know, rebalance it in a way that's far more sustainable. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's really sad, right? Like I have I have no issue with, you know, charging an international student five times the amount that a local student would pay at a reputable school. But it's these degree mills and the promises of like, oh, you know, you'll get this MBA and it's from, you know, whatever, ABC University. And that means nothing. And there's no real classes or professors. Uh, That is, it's wild. Like there's literally a scam, a systemic scam being run under the government's nose and we've known it for years. Uh, Kiran Singh's uh, reporting on this in the CBC was last year. I don't know why it took so long for people to like catch on now and be like, oh, this this seems terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch what they bring forward. Anything you're expecting from, like we talked a little bit about the opposition parties before, and I'm eager to switch forward to the federal. And I've, you know, I've talked on this podcast so many times about the state of the race, because we get polls, and it's so funny to watch. We're talking provincially? (laughs) Provincially, yeah. And so where are you thinking things go from there? Well, I have you, I'll get your thoughts on those other parties. The the most intriguing storyline in the upcoming election is the BC Conservatives. They've obviously ran a very effective air campaign through media, through social media, and piggybacking on the conservative brand, right? That's why they're pulling so high. Um, I don't think that should be dismissed. I think some commentators have been like, ah, it's people are, there's brand confusion, whatever. Don't dismiss it because there's enough consistency to show that like there's something there. Where it becomes tricky is they're not raising like a ton of money. So... Will they actually be able to run a proper ground game? Do they have the organization on the ground to be able to run uh, a full campaign across the province, right? That's the part that I think uh, is going to be the most interesting. Or do they flame out? I don't know. Um, The one thing about BC United is as poorly as their branding is, as poorly as these ads of, uh, 
Kevin Falcon in a bachelor suite putting lettuce on top of chicken breast and putting eggs in the freezer. BC United still has machinery. It still knows how to run a proper campaign. And that's what gets you over the finish line. So uh, the race for the official opposition, I don't think is over, but it's very likely that they both of them just cancel each other out. And what's even happening with the BC Greens in your estimation? Like, where are they? <laughs> oh, man, I see a lot of their YouTube ads for some reason. Every time I'm on YouTube, I see, hi, I'm Sonia First to know. I don't know why they haven't caught on. I, I, I suspect, I, I heard from someone in, in their local community that they were shocked that they didn't have a riding association. So I wonder how much of this is just structure and organization. Um, I wonder how much of it is branding, right? Like just in the general public, the idea of green just means like all you talk about is the environment when, to their credit, I think the BC Greens have very interesting critique as uh, as an opposition party. Where do they go from here? I mean, I had Sonia on the show a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And I, I was just like, why don't you just put all your eggs in like six baskets, six ridings? Because there could be a scenario, and there is a plausible scenario, where six seats will make you the official opposition. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I I, I, I wish them well. Uh, Sonia Firstnow is really also taking a big swing by getting into Grace Lore's riding. Um, you know, she has some roots in, in Victoria, but that's still a tough riding to win. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm not going to tell anyone what to do or that they're doing it wrong, uh, unless it's ads where you're putting eggs in the freezer, but, um, we'll see. I, there's a lot of X factors here and there's a lot of time, right? Like yeah. this is a, a lot can happen from now until October. Well, let's jump federally and talk about the conservatives there briefly. It's sure. been an interesting Week for them, we saw this debate in Parliament over a free trade agreement with Ukraine that the Liberals have been cheering on, and the Conservatives were cheering on until like three months ago or less, when they suddenly switched, and I think we've seen a shift in like American MAGA Conservatives to go really, like Tucker Carlson just interviewed Putin in like, just <laughs> what is happening kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, and... Then there's also the trans stuff in Alberta, and we'll come back to that. But I want to play a clip from Question Period that I don't know if you'll have seen or heard with uh, Pierre Polyev asking about this story that brings back everyone's favorite Nazi, Yaroslav Hunka, who oh, was... An actual Nazi. Yeah, We're not just throwing that yeah, around. Literally with the SS, Nazi. right? We don't need to relitigate that. But the Glo- I think it was the Globe. Someone had a story that... It wasn't just that he was invited to uh, Parliament to stand in the gallery, but there was a Prime Minister's Office event where he was also on the invite list and he didn't show up. And now the question is, did Justin Trudeau actually approve that? Hmm. Uh, And it seems like it was a long list provided by the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, so there's plausible deniability there. Hmm. But it's also this awkward thing of like, well, the guy we all yelled about last fall was also on your list. And should you also resign because you said you didn't know he was on the list, but he was on your list, which is a mess. So I'll play you, I'll, I'll play you the, the worst clip of question period from the past week. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister has been claiming for months that he had no involvement in or knowledge of the invitation of a former Nazi soldier to the visit of the Ukrainian president. Now we know that he personally invited that same individual. He actually 
said the opposite. And he said that the former speaker had to resign over doing the exact same thing. So will he hold himself to the very same standard and admit that he's not fit for office? The Right Honourable Prime Minister. The attacks that the Leader of the Opposition is choosing to make against the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress demonstrates the extent to which this Conservative Party no longer stands with Ukraine. They have an opportunity in just a few minutes, Mr. Speaker, to stand and vote in favour of a free trade deal that Volodymyr Zelensky himself is asking this House to pass, and he is choosing to not stand with Ukraine, not stand with Ukrainians and not stand with Ukrainian Canadians. Why are they abandoning Ukraine? Yeah, why are they abandoning Ukraine? <laughs> what, what you can't see, because I didn't show you the whole video, yeah. but after both of them give their political statements is the like barking seal response of all of their MPs behind them just like yeah. that was the greatest thing you've ever said sir yeah. and it's like I'm embarrassed by both of them right I, I don't I I believe Polyev exaggerated and you know misrepresented the f- truth there as I tried to set it up and Trudeau didn't even answer the fucking question <laughs> yeah I mean that about summarizes our federal politics in a nutshell I, I was just looking this up, and I wanted to make sure I got this right. So, I'll, I'll, this all this will all make sense. But the uh, the Republicans in the United States are having their primaries right now, <clears throat> and in Nevada, on the ballot, they had none of these candidates as an option. So you could it's not like spoiling your your vote. You can actually vote for none of these candidates. And so in the Nevada GOP primary, none of these candidates won in a landslide. And <laughs> Trump wasn't on that one. And that's the reason why that option won. Um, but I just like that idea of like that for our federal politics, where you could just have none of these candidates and that can win. Like not just like the next the next most votes win. It's just like, no, no, no none of these candidates win. And then they, they should be disallowed from running ever again. Um, I don't know. This is all just performative and stupid and dumb. And, you know, there is a free trade agreement with, with Ukraine uh, that exists, as far as I know. I think this was an update to it. Polyev was complaining that it has a carbon tax thing. And now we're talking about or rehashing the Nazi that we all that they all applauded for. Um, I don't think Polyev ever apologized for that either. He stood up just as much as everyone else did. Yeah, I mean, he, he there was a diffusion of responsibility at that point. Um, you know, this idea that Trudeau himself was like responsible for that. I just I don't buy that either. I think his office should have had better vetting, but I think we at some point need to ask questions of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, that that's a fair question as too. well. And yeah. maybe maybe Trudeau will yell at me for slandering them. But I, I just don't we're like the world's they on don't, fire. They don't have the political power that Trudeau and yeah. Polly have. The the country's on fire. And what are they arguing about? Like some list? Some guy's name on a list? Can we just move on? Like I don't know. I I just uh I just find it's theatrics, it's performative and uh, I don't know if it's necessarily going to sway anyone to vote one way or the other. Um, I think Trudeau is trying to use it as a weapon to 
maybe curry favor in the Ukrainian Canadian community, which is quite a large community here in Canada. But beyond that, I don't know. Like, like I do think it's notable, right? The size of the Ukrainian diaspora in Canada is significant and it's concentrated, especially in conservative writings. Yes. So their shift here is weird yeah. in that, like, historically, they would be the ones who represent those voters more than, you know, Montreal area MP Pierre, uh, Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I some, at some point, maybe you take the votes for granted and uh, that could be go as on. well. Yeah. And on that, you know, same kind of performative line, we saw Polyev finally get pinned down on what his reaction was to Daniel Smith's announcement of like a sweeping set of policies she's going to bring in to restrict gender uh, affirming care for minors, mm-hmm. to require pronoun uh, consent for pronoun changes in schools. Uh, and a number of other things that a number of many people have condemned up to the, including the prime minister. And Polyev comes out and sides with Danielle Smith on the let kids be kids situation. Uh, he says minors should not have access to puberty blockers, which so many people have properly pointed out. Who's going to take them then? Yeah. Who are they for? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, again, I I hate that. American-style culture war is slowly creeping into our country. This is a needlessly divisive issue that really doesn't affect that many people, and it doesn't certainly affect the material needs of some people, but the people it does affect can be harmed by a a lot of what's being espoused in Alberta and, and by Pierre Polyev. And again, I'm not a medical expert. I'm I'm not the person to talk on this. But I think that if there are, you know, protocols that doctors abide by, which they do, and they are making medical decisions along with parents, um, it's weird, just on a theoretical basis, that the government comes in and says, no, you can't do that. Um, I mean, it doesn't sound like the freedom or whatever that he's espousing there. Even the thing with pronouns, like that is something that, or, or having to, I guess, out your out a child to their parents without any context of what the home life is like, right? Mm-hmm. When people talk about soji, I mean, there, there's so much misinformation and disinformation. And someone explained it to me in a way that I thought was really profound. And it it was not, what, what they explained was, if someone is coming to a teacher and saying, hey, I'm questioning, I, I think I might be this or that or whatever. Um, think about it in the scenario of a child coming into a teacher and reporting abuse at home. You need to equip that teacher with the resources to be able to address that in a way where the child is no longer harmed, right? Or reduces harm or whatever. And this is the same thing. If a child comes to a teacher and says, hey, I'm questioning, but also my, you know, my home life isn't great and this could be a big thing, the teacher needs to have those resources to understand how to navigate that. And that's what SOGI is. Uh, When it comes to gender affirming care, again, it's not just like a kid says that, you know, they're feeling one way and then they're giving these medications. That's just not how it works um with things like pronouns who like what's the big deal i don't i don't see it as a big deal um people use nicknames all the time already exactly daniel smith's first name is not even danielle yeah yeah um and so i just again it goes back to what i just said it's like this doesn't affect most people but the people it affects can really seriously be harmed and i just i hate that this is now 
probably going to creep into the forefront of the conversation when we have so many other things to focus on. Yeah. And in both instances, the Ukraine and the trans stuff, it feels like Polyev is trying to shore up his base and a prevent a like chance of a People's Party of Canada resurgence, even if it means, you know, he's going off the radical right deep end. And like, I do believe at some level, like his personal religious views are deeply, you know, evangelical, socially conservative. And so I don't think he's going outside of his own personal beliefs on the trans stuff, especially Daniel Smith, I do think is historically, she has been the like, pot smoking, uh, same sex marriage loving libertarian right. who just wants uh, free markets for all right. right. Uh, but she seems to have gone to the I need to keep these people in line as well situation. And it's so toxic and dangerous for those who it affects, as you say. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just sad. And again, it's the it's the old playbook, right? Like when galvanizing hate, whether it's against trans people, drug users, unhoused people, uh, Jewish people, Muslim people like this is a tried and tested playbook that just gets software updates every few years or so. And this is one iteration of that. And there are several iterations that we're currently seeing as well. Like beyond the LGBTQ community, I would say unhoused people or drug users are are also facing a very similar campaign against them. Um, And instead of looking at these things somewhat rationally or even with compassion, um, you're just trying to get these cheap wins with a general public that can be uninformed on a lot of this stuff. On that somber uh, note, Mo, I think we'll end it there. But before I let you go, you have to plug all of your things. Where should people follow you? Oh, yeah. Please follow me on Twitter or sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter. It'll always be Twitter to me at Van Color. I'm also on TikTok at Van Color. And if you want to watch my television show, it's on Czech. If you're in BC, Thursday nights at 9 p.m. It's also called This is Van Color. And uh, you can find it in a podcast form. And I think that's about it. Please find me on all the things and say nice things. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. And that has been Playtoast. Find links to everything we talked about at playtoast.ca. Support the show and get access to our Slack channel at patreon.com slash playtoast. Our intro music credit is Beautiful British Columbia by Serge Plotnikoff. Playtoast is a production of Legend Boot Media and editing services are provided by CHLY. 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Kat. She's <laughs> got an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get cut. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> the, you know, the reasonable answer, and I think it's fair, is that she's going through hell right she is i'm just gonna chase him out okay yeah no worries all right you're a bit bye bye